0: up, everybody? Welcome to episode 52 of the 2QB experience. This is our second episode this week. Uh, if you missed episode 51, check that out. Scott Pianowski stopped by for a lengthy conversation talking about rankings and basically just everything under the football sun. Uh, that was really good. Don't miss that. We got another great episode for you today. And as always, I'm going to kick things off by promoting the 2017 2QBs.com draft guide for two quarterback and super flex leagues. We've got another update coming this week. In fact, if you're listening to this on Friday when the podcast comes out, we should have the update up and running. So if you've already purchased the guide, make sure to check your email. You'll get an update there with instructions on how to download the latest version. And if you don't have your copy yet and you still have a draft to do, go to 2QBs.com, use the promo code 2QBXP, get 10% off. That's the number 2 and then the letters QBXP. And you'll get your copy of the 2QBs.com 2017 draft guide for only 90% of the actual price. So that's pretty sweet. Uh, without further ado, let's jump into this week's episode. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the guide later, but until then, I want to welcome in Ben Gretsch at YardsPerGretsch on Twitter of RotoViz and Draft Day Consultants. Uh, if you haven't listened to, his uh structural drafting podcast on the Rotoviz Radio. Uh it is awesome. It's the first episode of the Yards per Gretsch podcast. Is that right, Ben?
1: Yeah, yeah. I just started up the the new concept and, and that's the first one, and the only one that's out now. We're working on episode two right now. Very cool. Well um I listened to that episode and
0: I was just thinking to myself as I'm listening to it, this is awesome, this is great, how can we apply these concepts to two quarterback leagues, and that's what you're here to do. You came on the show kind of on short notice, so I appreciate that, I really appreciate you taking the time, but I can't wait to talk about this stuff with you. Um, Before we get there, is there anything, uh, you know, recently from the news, like preseason, stuff like that, that's that's caught your interest at all?
1: Um, Not since the, you know, the major injuries, obviously, in week three of the preseason that were a little unfortunate, you know, uh, Cam Meredith, Julian Edelman, Spencer Ware, I mean, those were obviously, uh, unfortunate and, and shook up the ranks a little bit. Um, but other than those, you know, nothing, nothing huge. I think in the last couple of days, we
0: had a little scare today with Josh McCown seemingly getting hurt. I say, we, I mean, we, the two QB community, because <laughs> some of us, unfortunately have been forced to roster Josh McCown and other jets quarterbacks. Um, you know, not, not, not the best place to be in a two QB league, but Hey man, sometimes you just need a warm body under center. But, um, Alright, let's just jump into the main topic then. Structural drafting. And we're gonna talk about how this applies to two quarterback leagues soon enough, but to start off, give us like some background here. Give us a baseline from a one QB perspective, because I know that on your podcast, I don't want you to spoil that necessarily, but on your podcast you kind of laid into
1: the details behind it. Can you give us like the cliff notes here? Like what are we what are we talking about? Yeah, I mean structural drafting is just kind of predetermining and, and thinking about beforehand how you want to attack a draft what areas of the draft you want to target different positions or if you're in an auction you know what kind of budget you want to allocate to different positions and then understanding that the amount of capital you put towards certain positions whether especially in the high the high rounds and in the high budget ranges in auctions you, you need to understand the types of players that you're acquiring so you need to for for instance obviously running backs are going to be a little bit more fragile if you are acquiring them early in drafts um, or or paying a top dollar in an auction, there's a, a substantial risk that comes with that so part of structural drafting is balancing those types of uh, elements at uh, different positions the, the the risk profiles, the kind of bigger picture positional features and obviously one of the most popular ones is, is your running back, that's something that is written about in, uh, at a lot of different sites Sean Siegel's theory that originally came from Rotovis and um, that is kind of an idea about avoiding those fragile running backs in the high capital rounds and trying to target wide receivers, trying to target tight ends. Um, you have, obviously, the late-round quarterback uh, a theory for, for one-quarterback league, leagues pretty specifically from J.J. Zacharyson, which is uh, phenomenal and, and pretty widely accepted as a, a, a sound strategy in, in one-quarterback leagues. And, you know, there's other philosophies about what rounds and what areas of the draft you should target. And and essentially the the way to define it might be to look at the alternative. And the alternative is just looking for value in your draft. And uh, if your whole draft goes really running back heavy and there's a lot of early running back runs, then you would draft a different position. Or um, if you're in, you know, the fourth or fifth round and there's been a ton of wide receivers taken, you might be more willing to uh, target a different position. And we all do that to a certain degree. And, you know, structural drafting isn't – Necessarily doesn't require you to pass up really great value or or draft uh, you know a position that's being hammered in a draft just because you wanted to draft that position in that area of the draft before you know this new information came. Um, so it's important to still be flexible, but it, it is kind of the antithesis to uh, just drafting solely based on the value that the the draft presents.
0: Well, and. To be clear, structural drafting, the, the point of it is to mine value in those lower capital regions, you know, later picks in the draft, later, you know, points in the auction where you have less money, right? You're trying to identify ahead of time where you think you're going to be able to exploit the draft from later in your draft and using that information
1: to plan out the beginning of your draft.
0: It, is, am, I on, am I on the right page here, Ben?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely a, a good way of looking at it as well. I mean, it goes along with the Uh, fragility of the running back position that we see a lot of late running backs wind up being top producers over a larger sample over multiple years uh more so than we see at other positions maybe like receiver because one of the big reasons why is when you see a a top receiver go down often the you know there's two or three receivers the the second receiver is going to step into the first receiver role uh the undrafted fantasy football guy maybe steps into like a wide receiver three role And so you don't necessarily see someone jump into this monster workload that was never really expected, whereas at running back, you can see that pretty quickly. One major injury, sometimes it takes two, and you have, you know, uh, one of the guys that always comes to mind is Nick Goings, right, like for the Carolina Panthers. I remember that guy was a a, a league winner one year down the stretch as a guy who never had much of a career before then and never had much of a career after then. But there was this one year where uh, enough other injuries hit that he was the guy getting the bulk of the opportunity. And that's the way the running back position works, not for every team, but for a lot of teams. And um, so there's monster upside from running backs late in drafts. And that's something you can identify, as you noted. We've also seen it with late round tight ends. You can definitely see it with late round quarterbacks. It's a little bit harder to see at uh, wide receiver. But to your point, yeah, I mean, structuring from back to front is definitely uh, in an, an intelligent way of going about it and thinking about how you can build the best roster when you're all said and done uh you know before you even start yeah it comes back to the idea of trying to win across
0: your entire roster right? like a lot of people talk about winning the flex like looking at which position is highest value the most within your scoring settings right if it's a ppr league that's going to be a wide receiver and so you'll tell yourself based upon that like if you're in a if you're taking that zero rb approach you want to try to fill your flex spot with the highest value wide receiver you can as quickly as you can because that's the one spot on your roster where every position is viable, right? And you can apply that in a two-quarterback sense to super flex leagues too, right? Where if you have that super flex where you can play a quarterback, a wide receiver, running back, or tight end, that doesn't mean that you want that to be the last position you fill because it can be anything. It's the opposite, right? You want to look at that and say, how can I mine the most value out of that one roster spot? And the answer in a super flex league is... 94, 98, 99% of the time going to be a quarterback because they touch the ball so much. Uh, There's just inherent volume there and predictability. And so it it makes a lot of sense. Like you talked about, you know, looking for where you can, you know, mine value later in the season, like guys off the wire, like Goings, or like Tim Hightower a couple of seasons ago with the Saints. Uh, You don't see that stuff happen at the quarterback position either because, like, uh, it's it's rare when Tyler Thigpen comes in and saves your fantasy season. Like, the volume is there, but often the talent is not with those backup QBs. And so you really want to try to set yourself up for, uh, you know, guys who are going to have that talent and that stability in addition to being in a good offense and all that good stuff. And this is – I'm getting off the rails here. We were talking about one quarterback leagues. I'm already jumping into two, Ben. This is classic, classic Greg just steering it right towards two QB. Um, so get back to one QB. <laughs> My bad. No, I, what,
1: <laughs> that's which, great. I was
0: loving it. <laughs> which um, tell tell me a little. Give me a little bit more background on recent seasons. Like again, I don't want you to spoil your other podcast. But what structures have historically been good in recent years? Is zero RB um is zero RB viable, or are we looking at something else as a a traditional structure that works? I mean, late round quarterbacks a great example for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, late, late round quarterbacks a great one that we've seen be uh very viable. over a number of seasons last year matt ryan was a late round quarterback and went uh, you know finished very high uh cam newton the year before we've definitely seen these quarterbacks have uh top three top five seasons that are drafted in the double digit rounds Um, last season was a little bit different than 2015 and 2014 2015 2014 what we saw was zero running back be pretty effective particularly 2015 where there were Uh, a high number of early running back busts and injuries. Devontae Freeman obviously wound up as the the running back one that season, but it was also the lowest per game production for the running back one, at least since 2000 and going back probably a a lot longer before that because running backs used to get such bigger workloads. Um, So it was kind of the culmination of a trend of uh, decreasing top end running back production. And then this past season we saw it shoot back up with DJ and Le'Veon Bell And not a lot of early running back injuries. Of the top eight finishers at running back in um, PPR leagues, they all had ADPs of RB21 or higher. And that's just pretty nuts. It's not something that had happened for any of the previous uh, 10 seasons. You're looking at – and and this is really like one of the most important uh, points of structural drafting, I think, is that you're looking at something that every season – Seems to kind of change what the appropriate structure would have been. Uh, we we kind of saw a zero uh, running back work in 2014 and 2015, but in 2016, uh, if you were pounding early running backs, assuming you missed uh, you know some of the injuries like the the Adrian Peterson injury or the bust from from Todd Gurley, you probably did pretty well if you had some guys that you know like D J, like Le'Veon Bell, like Demarco Murray. Uh, like LaShawn McCoy, a lot of these guys that went in the first at least four or five rounds, uh, you probably did pretty pretty well in your leagues. So that's a really important thing to consider before you just like think, okay, zero running back is the decision I want to make, or whatever the, the decision might be that you're considering, is that if every season's different, we probably should analyze every season beforehand and, and try to consider whether... Uh, based on the, the current season ADP, based on what we see as the strength of each position in the early rounds, in the middle rounds, in the late rounds, based on all these these factors, we should analyze what we think will be the appropriate structure for 2017 when it's all said and done without really knowing beforehand. But uh, it's a situation where I think we get a little too caught up analyzing the past results and saying this is what has to happen or what should happen. And maybe this is a criticism of zero running back, frankly, because it was really strong in 2014 and 2015, and ADP shifted really heavily, and people said, you know, there's a lot of people who said, running backs are too big a value at this point, Uh, you know, these zero running back fanboys are going nuts, and we saw it swing back. Now, what happened in 2016, if you really dig into the numbers, and I, I did talk about this a lot in my other pod, pretty hard to predict and pretty hard to expect to happen again, but these things do happen. It's a short, it's a short, uh, short season. It's a small sample and it's not crazy for these types of outliers or or things to change. So I think it is important every season to kind of look at 2017, um, look at the different positions and consider what we think both based on the historical trends and what those suggest might be the best option, but also what we think based on, uh, changing trends, uh, for going, you know, for going forward for, 2017 what we think might be the best option as well
0: yeah and and usually I don't think that looking back taking that historical view is necessarily a bad thing I do think that that can create biases the the worst bias is when you only look at the previous year and this is rampant in fantasy football everyone just looks at who did well the previous season that's generally what shapes the rankings that's generally what shapes ADP and people go by that and then there's somehow surprise. Like last year when everybody was going crazy for zero RB, we acted surprised when, you know, the early round running backs panned out. Now, part of that is the just the, the luck that was associated with injuries of the running back position last year, no doubt about it. But there's also something to be said about the fact that there were more people taking that approach that was meant to be a little contrarian in the first place, right?
1: yeah no absolutely. i mean, uh when you had a lot of people doing zero running back, it certainly sucked a lot of the value out of it for two thousand and sixteen drafts and it created a possibility where you could get a lot better running backs or other positions if you went uh a different route uh if you were trying traditionally if you're trying to build a zero running back roster, you could get you know, I don't know exactly which wide receiver you'd get in the third or fourth round, but maybe you'd get the wide receiver 15, wide receiver 20 or something. You'd get three of the top 20, 25, 30 receivers. Uh, and I know one of Sean's stated goals is to try to get, particularly for leagues that start three receivers and have a flex, is to try to get six receivers that wind up being top 15 receivers at the end of the season. It's a lot easier to do that if you can draft six receivers that you have ranked and say, your top 25 or 30. But if you get to the sixth round and 40 receivers are off the board, like – I think was happening in, in some drafts last year. I don't have the, the exact ADP in front of me, but uh, it, it got a little bit crazy where a lot more receivers are coming off the board and it made it a lot more difficult to uh, have that type of redundancy at the wide receiver position. That was a, you know, a stated goal of zero running back and definitely was going to limit the upside. Even if the season didn't take kind of a weird turn with pretty abnormal early round running back injury rates in in a positive way in terms of them staying healthy. And a few other things as well. The wide receiver production uh, at the top falling off, and 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 just some other factors that really shifted things from the the recent trends. Now, to your point, a lot of people are looking at last year as this one year example of why zero running back doesn't make a ton of sense anymore. And I mean that that creates an exploitable advantage for people who are willing to consider that. Uh, I don't know. There were football seasons before last season. <laughs> I mean, not to be not to be flippant, but no absolutely and and again it comes back to not looking only at the past
0: but trying to project what's going to happen in the future and one of the greatest tools we have in order to do that is adp is we can look at long-term trends and we can look at the average draft position of you know the the leagues that we're drafting in and say okay what does not make sense like what doesn't make sense if i kind of minimize my bias from just last year and If running backs are flying back up the draft board this year, then that means that, yes, you may get those wide receivers, you know, wide receiver 15 in round three or round four, right? And if that's happening, there is an exploitable advantage. You're absolutely right. Let's take this and turn it towards 2QB, because I think that a lot of the same concepts apply. Like, we can look at last year, and you talked about how Matt Ryan was a late-round quarterback last year. That's a great example of a value that people found based upon looking at, you know, a track record for that dude and one bad year. And if we we can take that one example of one player and see how that can apply to a whole position, right, just like running back, where running back was generally discounted last year because there were more zero running back drafters. And therefore, if you kind of took the risk to embrace fragility and go after those guys in the early rounds, there was payoff. Now, specific to the quarterback position this year, Matt Ryan, after being a late-round darling in 2016, is a player who is now the quarterback, you know, 4, 5, 6 in ADP. And it's like, wait, did we forget everything? Like, yeah. the reason we, we liked him last year is because he was cheap. And this is something that I, I always come back to in two quarterback leagues, is people get so afraid of missing out on the position altogether that they feel like they have to draft the position early. And I understand that there are going to be some leagues where... Everyone is doing that, and you do have to use early picks just to keep up, but that doesn't necessarily mean if you have the first pick, like where you could take David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell or even Antonio Brown if you want to take a zero RB approach, it doesn't mean you should spend that pick on a quarterback, right? You don't have to be another sheep in the herd when you're doing these drafts just because everybody else is going to be you can look at the fact that Matt Ryan was a guy who was undervalued last year and say you know what there's probably going to be some quarterback that's undervalued this year and if you can look at ADP and you can forecast who those players might be and over you know all your different leagues take some different shots here and there and in some leagues you know pay up for quarterback and some leagues you don't and some leagues you kind of find yourself in the middle eventually you're going to start to figure out where the value should be and that's what structural drafting is, right, is you do some practice drafts, you, you do some NFL 10s or whatever, and you start to figure out where you can mine that value. And it depends on a lot of stuff, right? It depends on your league settings. It depends on where you're drafting in the pick order. What do you think about applying structural drafting to two QB leagues, Ben? I know you don't play in a ton of two-quarterback formats, but just
1: what does your intuition tell you? In the two QB leagues that I have played in, and I play in a couple usually every year. I mean, we have the, we have the Scott Fishbowl always is is super flex so and a couple other ones. Yeah, um. So my my intuition has always been very similar to what you just described. I mean, kind of the later round quarterback strategy. It's something I, I definitely buy into in one QB leagues because if you look at QB scoring over, you know. Just QB positional finishes and points scored over multiple years, you see that sometimes there are one, two, three quarterbacks that kind of stand uh, a little bit above the pack. But a lot of times from QB4 or QB5 down to like QB12, QB15 sometimes, you'll see a pretty big mass that's not um, particularly separated in terms of you know points per game at least. I mean, sometimes it'll be 20, 40 points, but you're talking one or two points per game over the course of the whole season. And so my philosophy generally in in two QB leagues is when other people are going to be going, uh, putting more emphasis on the position, going early at the position, it creates an opportunity to really load up at other positions at running back at wide receiver at tight end to get players and and player combinations, maybe get two players that would normally be first round picks at running back wide receiver type players in your first and your second round. And, Uh, you know maybe get a third that's normally a second round pick and you're in the third round and then later on as you uh, realize obviously you need to get yourself some quarterbacks you 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 get into some of those guys but if you can get quarterbacks that wind up in that kind of middle range of of viable quarterbacks by season's end um, you can really differentiate at the other positions and not feel like you have to differentiate a quarterback just because it is a two-quarterback league.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What you talked about is with finding that first-round value at wide receiver and running back maybe in the second round is exactly what I tried to do in most of my leagues. Like my home league drafted a few weeks ago, and it was a little early, but first I had uh, the second pick, and the first guy took Le'Veon Bell. I took David Johnson kind of just out of habit more than anything else. And when it got back to me in the second round, enough quarterbacks had gone that I was looking at Michael Thomas, the Saints wide receiver, and to get him at the back end of the second round is pretty sweet, right? And then, you know, it comes around the turn, one of the, the guy at the turn takes a QB, and then I'm looking at T.Y. Hilton, another guy who's either a late first or or at the at the time, I should say, because we don't know what the hell's going on with Andrew Luck, but at the time it felt like such a screaming value because that's a guy who should go maybe at the at the front end of the second round or maybe the middle of the second round at the latest. But I was getting him at the beginning of the third. And this is all because the other drafters in my league were taking those quarterbacks early. And I still ended up with, I think, Andy Dalton and Sam Bradford and someone else. And And those guys aren't sexy, don't get me wrong. But quarterback is a very unique position. There's a shallow pool of possible starters, and that's why people feel like they have that 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 need that they have to get these guys super quick, or else they'll miss out. But you also have to understand that a high percentage of quarterbacks are going to be viable in two QB leagues. And Ben, you had mentioned you know that m- middle range that from like QB four, QB five down to QB twelve. In my analysis, I did a study on this last year, looking at the percentage of top ten weeks and the percentage of top twenty weeks quarterbacks post and generally the range is even wider it starts at about QB5 and it goes all the way down into the the low 20s like i think QB24 QB25 is a there is a drop off don't get me wrong there's a, a a steady decline but it's nothing like the drop off from those elite guys down to the second tier or the drop off from you know QB20 to 25 down to the next tier of QB25 and beyond like there's a huge middle class and if you can differentiate at wide receiver at running back at tight end, then quarterback doesn't matter quite as much because all the guys are very similar and they all have a good weekly ceiling because they touch the ball so much. like you could have a defense you know for the Chiefs or Sam Bradford's Vikings that generates enough turnovers to where those quarterbacks Alex Smith and Sam Bradford are going to you know just randomly luck into three touchdown weeks sometimes, right? and if that's happening and you spent relatively nothing to get those guys compared to the people who were spending, you know, first and second round picks to get more regular access to three touchdown weeks you're you're going to get an advantage that way or you can get an advantage that way now quarterback runs at the position do happen you know you're going to have situations where you think you can wait one more round to draft a guy and then for whatever reason, you know, the picks that happen between yours just scoop up all the usable quarterbacks. And yeah, you're going to get kind of boned by that occasionally. But I don't know. It's all about calculated risk, right? And this is where that idea of structure comes back. And when you can figure out where those pockets of QB value lie relative to the other positions, you can start to you know, wait longer and longer and say, okay, here's where I want to pounce, and here's where I want to wait, right?
1: Totally, yeah. I mean, and, and to your point about the the mass, I mean, that's that's really interesting research, first of all, that it, it stretched all the way into the 20s. And w- you mentioned that, that that whole area from QB4, QB5 to the mid-20s, uh, you don't see as much of a drop as from the top three down to the to the 4-5 range or from the 25 down to the 30 range. But another obviously really key point that I'm sure you're, you're alluding to as well is you don't see nearly as much of a drop as you see from the running back four or five down to the running back 25 from the wide receiver four or five down to the wide receiver 25 or the tight end i mean that's where you can really differentiate your roster is at these other positions at quarterback uh it's a little bit harder to do first of all because there's only a couple guys that are really head and shoulders above and then secondly once you're kind of out of that range where maybe the aaron Rodgers, tom brady drew Brees, a couple other guys have gone off there's some possibility of a guy like a Matt Ryan, but you don't necessarily know which guy, but a guy like that jumping up into to the top five. So it's OK to kind of wait a little bit, but reaching at the QB six, QB seven, QB eight range, um, particularly to me just seems kind of crazy, because if you can get a running back or receiver in that range, the drop off from them all the way down to, you know, waiting at those positions relative to waiting at quarterback is just going to be so much more substantial. So I want to get a little bit more specific with you, Ben, and talks about um, you know how to apply this
0: stuff because we're talking pretty nebulously about structure and why structure is good and why late round QB or why zero RB can work and should work this season. But let's let's kind of dig in and, and yeah, I don't know how I want to put this, but talk about specific structures you could take. And for now, I think. It's hard because I talked about how scoring settings matter and leagues, you know, construction matters. Like the more teams you have in a league, like the harder it is to find usable quarterbacks because the teams are that much more hungry for them. Like a ten-team two QB league is going to be a lot different than a sixteen-team superflex league, right? So, tell me about what you think or how you think you should adapt your structure based upon. Uh, let's just kind of go through a list of things like, um, like draft slot. Do, does Picking early in the first round change how you would approach or or set up your structure versus picking late in the first round?
1: Yeah, I mean, a lot of this is going to probably get back to the earlier discussion we had about how it's different every year, right? So for 2017, there's going to be some assumptions to make that um, are going to affect kind of the answers to these questions. So er early draft slot, my assumption would be uh, I'm taking – David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell, and and that's what I'm doing if I have the first or second pick. Now, if I take one of those guys, that's definitely going to affect my strategy because generally I am more of a zero running back type drafter. So what that means is I need to be more extreme in terms of my um, approach to acquiring wide receiver depth and potentially I'll, I'll still hit on a tight end, but I might be less likely to take a tight end in early rounds. From that point forward, because I took a running back early in the draft. Now, later in the draft, alternatively, what I'm probably going to do is in especially obviously in in PPR leagues, I'm going to be looking at going wide receiver, wide receiver. That's something that I think makes a lot of sense this year. Something I talked about in in the podcast that we were just discussing a bit ago, where uh, last year the running back performance was uncharacteristically high relative to maybe what we should have expected rushing attempts were still down for the fourth straight season uh, uh, league wide or the, the league wide average team had the lowest the lowest in league history each of the last 4 years it's been yeah that's crazy the lowest in league history so yeah we're just seeing more and more passes and we are seeing running backs be involved more in in the passing game but the performances we saw are really heavily tied to rushing touchdowns and and pass volume for the for a few really good top-end running backs, and then once you get down to like a little a little ways down the running back list, it looks pretty much similar to how it looked in 2016. So if a couple of the, or excuse me 2015. So if a couple of those guys didn't hit as big as they did, DJ and Bell being the most notable ones. You also had some other really high touchdown seasons from guys like Ezekiel Elliott. Even like Garrett Blunt had 18 touchdowns. Latavius Murray. Latavius Murray had a big one, and and those guys inflated a little bit of the running back production, sure, but the, the point for me is that with wide receiver production falling as much as it did, with tight end production falling as much as it did, and at each of the tight end one, tight end two, tight end three, tight end four, tight end five spots, if you looked at average points per game, um, with I can't remember the minimum game threshold I used for the stat, probably eight. At each of those spots relative to the previous five seasons, we had the lowest points per game. So we had the lowest tight end one points per game in the last six years, the lowest tight end two points per game in the last six years, etc., um, based on those things dropping, it really sets up very similar to what happened in 2015 with running backs. We saw, uh, I mentioned earlier, Devontae Freeman be the running back one with like 21.5 points per game, I believe it was. It was one of the lowest running back one points per game totals that we'd seen in definitely since 2000 and, and beyond. He wasn't an early round pick that year either. That's the crazy part. Yeah, yeah. He was a late round guy. And so there were trends that supported the running back production falling the Mm -hmm. lack of touches, the the lack of rush attempts. And then you had David Johnson and Le'Veon Bell spring back up to um, really high points per game numbers. I think it was 25.7 and 26.5. And Ezekiel Elliott at running back three was right around where Devontae Freeman had been at running back one in 2015, right around the 21 point, I think he was 21.7, 21.8 points per game, something like that. So DJ and and Le'Veon gave you like a five point per game advantage over everyone other than each other. And that really happened in large part because these trends with the reducing running back production were based in something real. Now we've seen that same thing with the receivers and the tight ends last year, and I think some of that is based in, in some real trends. There's we, uh, scheme There, yeah, the, the scheme leads to that, right? Yeah, and that's some of the stuff we discussed. Some of the league-wide stuff, you know, increased shotgun usage, increased three wide receiver sets, more spread offenses, more targets going out. Uh, excuse me, more options going out in in passing formations therefore the targets being spread around between all those different options you know the third receivers running more routes and actually tight ends are probably running fewer routes i don't know that for a fact but uh, particularly i would think inline tight ends as teams do more shotgun more spread formations there are some tight ends that are going to split out wide and and those are really interesting assets for this year or targets for this year in my opinion Uh, but the point that I'm that I'm taking a really long time to circle back to. Take your time, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think is uh, a great year to look for the types of players that can be difference makers at wide receiver and tight end because if the mass of production f- fell off last year um, based on trends that might continue for this season, but we see a couple specific instances of players really shooting out ahead of the pack, like we saw with Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson at running back in 2016, we could see that type of value at those positions the way that we saw at tight end uh, four or five years ago when Rob Gronkowski and Jimmy Graham had their best years. Those guys were so Mm -hmm. valuable to fantasy success the next year that everybody was thinking they're first round picks. I mean, I remember taking Jimmy Graham in the first round in leagues, uh, seventh or eighth pick or something a, a few years back, and we don't really do that anymore. Uh, even when tight ends have big years. But I, I could see guys do that this year. I could see Jordan Reed do that if he stays healthy. He he He's the kind of guy that can dominate targets. He splits out wide, and he fits with this new uh, new offensive philosophy that we're seeing league-wide. And he's the kind of guy that can be basically the wide receiver one for his team, even though he plays tight end. Uh, Gronk could obviously be that guy. There are a few tight ends that I think are worth considering early in drafts. And then to your point about structural drafting, I also think in 2017, it's not a great year to look at late tight ends. I mean, I think there's a lot of young tight ends that have come in the league. There's a lot of situations where we might see kind of tight end by committees. you got Hunter Henry and Antonio Gates in San Diego. You have O.J. Howard and Cameron Bright in Tampa Bay. Um, there's not a lot of late tight end targets that I'm real confident are going to have a lot of targets because they're kind of uh, unclear situations who's even going to be the leader in targets uh, at the tight end position for a given team. So anyway, I, I think targeting these these high-end tight ends this year Um, the elite receivers this year uh, could really pay off if we don't see the production bounce back from the masses but we see one or two real big seasons those could be where the league winners are this year this year's dj and bell could be you know a wide receiver or tight end
0: i really like that you brought up tight ends because they're the trickiest position to evaluate in two qb leagues because it's it's a onesie position still and I totally agree with everything you just said its It seems like right now there isn't that much value beyond say tight end eight so if you play in a ten or a twelve team league, you really might miss out on that position if you wait too long and so if we think about that in terms of structure, that means that you either want to plan to take a tight end relatively early and like you don't have to necessarily get Gronk or kelsey, but if you you might want to make sure that you walk away with either one of those two guys or Greg Olson. Or Jordan Reed or Jimmy Graham or maybe Tyler Eifert depending upon how you feel about his health risk but that's about where that kind of that top five upside starts to to fall off right because after that you're looking at Cal Rudolph who is a good player and you know Martellus Bennett who is a good player as well but these guys are a little riskier and anyway I, I feel like there is that kind of high-end tight end potential that you have to look for now you can use that structure, right? You can say, okay, I want to make sure I get one of these guys. But if you apply that to a two-quarterback league, I really don't think there's any incentive in the first four to five rounds to take a a tight end at all, if only because it is a onesie position. We can apply the late-round quarterback mentality from one QB league's to tight end in two QB leagues because we have to go deeper everywhere else. We have to go deeper at running back and wide receiver, just like we always do. We have to go deeper at quarterback now, and that's the big difference. If you have to draft more QBs, then spending a pick on tight end in the early rounds means that you're not just falling behind at wide receiver and running back anymore. You're also falling behind at quarterback, and quarterback is shallow. It is largely flat in production, but it's shallow. And so using that early capital on a tight end is dangerous to me and so what that means is i want to try to get the last guy in that you know first two tiers or first two and a half tiers of usable tight ends when i'm playing in a two quarterback league so i'm ending up with a lot of eifert with a lot of jimmy cram and you know if i miss out on those guys then i'm you know spending a little bit more capital on guys like rudolph and bennett and before you know Eric Ebron got hurt yet again. It was Eric Ebron, and now I've kind of pivoted to Zach Ertz a little bit, and those are the guys I'm drafting. But if I miss out on all of those dudes in a 2QB league, then you have to look at, you know, what what does my structure need to be now? And this is something that I love that you brought up on your your pod, was the idea of being flexible in your structure or being willing to, you know, have different structures in mind depending upon how the draft breaks for you. And so if you miss out on getting one of those quality tight ends, it's almost like you you have to take multiple shots. You have to draft both an Austin Hooper and a Charles Clay, or both a Jason Witten and a Hunter Henry. And, and I'm not saying I like all these guys specifically, but you might have to, because you missed out on one solid tight end, diversify and take more chances on tight end just to make sure that you don't fall too far far behind at that
1: position. Does that make sense, Ben? Yeah. I mean, I I couldn't agree more with pretty much everything you just said. Um, as far as applying a, a ton of what I just said to uh, to two QBs, I mean, I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, even though I just advocated for top tight ends and I'm taking them in a lot of leagues, in my two QB leagues, I'm probably not getting Gronk or, or, or Reed, who's one of my other favorite top tight end targets, strictly for the reasons you said. So everything I was just mentioning is um, – kind of my best guess of the way to create value and it's important to go all the way back to the concepts we talked about at the beginning where the type of structure that makes sense changes every year and and we don't know obviously beforehand what will be the right structure so we can make our best guess and it's going to vary by format type obviously so when we play when i play in one qb leagues and i know that i can wait really late on quarterback and and some other different uh changes there I, i feel like i can take a tight end Earlier, And I can make uh, make that target at tight end in the third or fourth round. But to your point where you need to get a lot more depth in some at some of the other positions, you need to consider QB a lot earlier when you go to two QB leagues. All of a sudden, it it doesn't mean that that um, I guess the way to phrase this is when I'm doing that in one QB leagues, I'm not doing it because I'm 100 percent certain that's the right way to do it. I'm doing it because it percentage wise, it seems like it has the best payoff based on the constraints and based on everything that I'm considering once you change the constraints to two QBs and you start considering the payoff at that point, now I'm not really willing to bet on that being the outcome uh, because the the opportunity cost changes, right? Uh, yeah. For all the reasons that you just mentioned. So anyway, I thought that was a fantastic point. <laughs> I just wanted to <laughs> emphasize that.
0: Thanks, man. Uh, um, you, were, you were talking about how you change your structure based upon format, and you specifically talk about one QB versus two QB, but what about differences in the way a league plays out like a seasonal league versus
1: a best ball league. Does that change your approach as well? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's going to change uh, a lot of things there. I mean, uh, in, in best ball, it's going to change the way I uh, address the wide receiver position. I mean, Mike beers uh, is a buddy of mine and, and one of the uh, best minds, I think for best ball analysis, he's come up with some really fantastic stuff and one of the things he's shown with best balls uh, best ball at the wide receiver position is that because um, it's a position where you have maybe two or three, and really I'm kind of applying my, my analysis of his trends before really telling you his trends. So uh, apologies to him if, if this isn't the his interpretation of why this is, but because you have two or three options on each offense, you have these games where a guy like uh, – a guy that I, I'm thinking in best ball leagues a lot this year is Travis Benjamin. A guy like a Travis Benjamin on two or four targets can have you know 40 yards and a touchdown – because uh, he catches a 40-yard touchdown and becomes a viable, playable option in your offense, there are a lot of guys like that in the league, and there's a lot deeper uh, um, viability for wide receivers in terms of guys that are definitely going to at least get some work week in and week out late in drafts, whereas at running back when you're targeting late-round running backs, a lot of times you're hoping for an injury for that guy to to get, uh, get on the field more. Uh, but because of that, what Beers has kind of shown is that it's it makes a lot of sense to draft a lot a lot of receivers and to get plenty late is fine because I'm not as willing to take late receivers in um, leagues where I have to pick a starter because I don't know which week Travis Benjamin is gonna gonna do that.
0: Absolutely. But if I stack
1: if I stack Travis Benjamin and Ted Ginn and you know all these other late round guys that have the potential to do that in a best ball league, I have the potential to get wide receiver one production. Just from these guys having their three or four blow up weeks throughout the season. So, uh, one of the ways he's applied that is to, to, uh, he created a a concept called hyper fragility where he was drafting three early running backs and just really hoping that those three guys stayed healthy. And it it worked really well last year, obviously, because we talked, for the reasons that we talked about, that a lot of the top running backs did stay healthy and were productive. Draft three and basically play the pray that you picked the right players game. (laughs) But what that does. Strategically, it's so intelligent because it allows you to take eight or nine receivers. And then you can have, you're, you're pretty much guaranteeing that every week of the year, you're going to have strong receiver production because you have so many guys and someone's going to peak at some point uh, at every week. It's like you get extra dice rolls to try and get yeah, more bites dump. at the apple, right? Right, exactly. So uh, if you hit on those three early running backs that you took, I mean, you, you can apply strategies like that in best ball in, Seasonal leagues, it's different because you're not going to know when to start guys like Ted Ginn or, or Travis Benjamin in your in your starting lineup. So it's uh, there's a lot more uh, of a benefit to the consistency that top receivers provide you. So, yeah, I mean, it's definitely going to change the way you approach it. I'll be more willing to take early running backs in best ball leagues, even though that's kind of counterintuitive because if they get injured, you can't replace them. But um, it allows you to do some different things with your lineup. Uh, and then you kind of just have to, to hope and pray that they stay healthy. But we're hoping and praying that all our guys stay healthy. I mean, receivers get hurt, too. Everyone, you know, it's football. Everyone has some level of injury risk.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk more about how fragility and how that idea of spreading out your risk and, and hoping on hitting on multiple or hitting on the right guys like in any given week. I want to talk more about that. But because we're talking about best ball, this is a good spot to take a break for our sponsor. It's playdraft The season starts in less than a week, but you still have time to do best ball drafts on Play Draft. And what's better than drafting best ball leagues? How about drafting them for free? You can do that by signing up through this podcast. Play Draft leagues are snake fashion, and your best lineups are chosen automatically every week. That's what the best ball format is all about. So you draft backups at every position, including quarterback. It makes a good practice for two QB leagues, and these drafts go by super fast. You sign up, you're drafting in minutes, and you're done with the draft in you know not that much long after that. It usually takes 20 minutes to half an hour, depending upon how fast people pick. And so if you want to start trying this out, uh, you can go to playdraft.com slash 2QB, uh, playdraft.com slash T-W-O-Q-B, and if you sign up with the promo code 2QB, spelled the same way, you're going to get your first best ball draft for free. And then after you're done with your best ball drafts, you know, leading up to the season, for week one, for every week after that, Play draft offers DFS, where you're also drafting uh, in snake fashion. So instead of you know picking players against a salary cap like everybody else, where you're going to have overlap at different positions, you actually draft teams against other people in your DFS contest. So I pick a player. That means no one else can pick that guy for that week. It's pretty cool. Check it out. PlayDraft.com slash T-W-O-Q-B with the promo code 2QB, T-W-O-Q-B, and you'll be off to the races Drafting in no time, let's get back to Mr. Ben Gretsch. And so, yeah, I want to get back to that idea that we were talking about before the ad read there. This this concept that fragility is something that you can steer into sometimes. And this is something that I think we can apply specifically to the quarterback position. It, almost in the opposite sense, right? It's It's more of that wide receiver approach applied to quarterback where in a 2QB league, Even if you don't get the best guys, you can pass on Aaron Rodgers all the way down through Andy Dalton. Um, Well, maybe you don't want to pass that long, but anyway, one of my favorite approaches in two QB leagues, one of my favorite structures, is to take a full-on late-round approach and try to draft not just three quarterbacks to make sure my buys are covered, but to draft four or maybe even five, and to take shots on guys who might not even be starters like Chad Henney or Patrick Mahomes and... The thought process there is similar to what you were just talking about with wide receivers. So what you're hoping for is the ability to play matchups during the season. This doesn't apply to best ball necessarily. This is more of a seasonal strategy. But what you're hoping to do is embrace the fact that the, the quarterback position's natural volume is going to give you... Enough usable weeks from even bad quarterbacks. This is just like the streaming approach that JJ talks about, uh, like on his pod with Denny and, and all, all that late round mentality. You can use that same approach into QB leagues. You just have to be really careful about how you allot your draft capital and make sure you end up with one, a reasonable team to start with, uh, you know, through the first however many rounds, but then also enough quarterbacks who are going to become starters or who are starters so that you're not too far behind at the position from the jump, from the, the beginning of the season, right? So if Andy Dalton is the first quarterback I draft, and then I also draft Blake Bortles and Deshaun Kaiser and Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, my thought is, yes, I'm giving up a lot of you know roster flexibility to do that, but hopefully... My first however many picks where I wasn't taking quarterbacks, those picks will give me such an advantage at running back, wide receiver, tight end, that I don't need my QBs to win my league for me. I just need them to give me 10 to 15 points every week, right? They're just going to carry the mail while the rest of my team blows up and really dominates my opponent on a week-to-week basis. And this is a risky strategy because playing matchups is not easy necessarily, but it's easier at quarterback than it is... Everywhere else,
1: yeah, totally agree with that. I mean, uh, particularly th- the strategy you mentioned makes a ton of sense. I mean, you're basically using your roster like the waiver wire, and then you're allowing yourself to pick and choose the matchups, uh, like uh, in a streaming sense, like you said. Obviously, the downside, as you also noted, is that you're not going to be as deep at running back or wide receiver, and some of that is going to be is going to potentially create problems if you hit injuries. But there's also Occasionally shallower uh, waiver wires in, in two QB leagues, and, and you're able to add, uh, you know, depending on the depth of the league, obviously, but you're able to add other options at running back and wide receiver to replace injuries and things like that. It makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it makes a lot of sense to be strong through to maybe your first or second de- uh, bench spot at, at positions like running back and wide receiver, um, and then just be almost dangerously thin at QB, but give yourself enough bullets in the chamber that you can mix and match. Uh, you know, as you see fit. I mean, that's pretty much the, a very similar strategy to I, to what I take. I do chicken out a little bit and and probably grab a couple quarterbacks in the Andy Dalton area. Oh, so do um,
0: I. Don't get me wrong.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't necessarily go with like three rookies, um, but that's that's what I try to do. I mean, I try to be really strong at the other positions. And you know, occasionally you'll take one one earlier QB, but I generally don't. Still, I mean, I, I generally play with fire, and it's it's a pretty uncomfortable draft strategy. As you get later into the draft, you're worried about the runs. It's really it's really tricky when you're in uh, uh, towards the end and you're at uh, a turn, and you're worried. Okay, there's 20 picks to my next pick, or you know, 22 picks to my next pick. What's going to happen here? You know, am I going to get a chance to uh, to take one of these? six QBs that I think are, you know, in this next tier, or are they all going to go in a run in this, in this, uh, in these next two rounds. So it gets a little tougher in those spots, but that's a great uh, point. Yeah. That's a great point because you're, you're laying out that case for
0: basing your structure on where you are in the draft. We talked about that already. It's like, if you are at the turn, you can't necessarily employ that type of strategy, right? You, you have to be thinking about how you're going to build your roster a little differently. And, I feel like we're we're kind of spinning our wheels here. We've talked about this so much that uh, we, you know, we're running out of things to say. So I, I think this is a good place to kind of wind down the podcast. And with that in mind, I mean, before we do, I want to throw it back to you, Ben, and say, you know, is there anything else with regards to structural drafting that you want to hammer home before we before we take this thing, you know, before we close it out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think probably the one thing that we. Um... And I agree with you. We, we were kind of getting a little bit repetitive. <laughs> but the one thing maybe that we kind of glossed over was that idea of having multiple structures in mind. And I, I think mm-hmm. you you asked me about it, and I went to kind of a different topic. But um, it is really important to consider how you would change the way you approach the middle and later rounds based on what you do in the early rounds because you don't necessarily know how the early rounds are going to change. And it's okay to adjust to your draft. You don't want to have a structure in place that makes you do things Um, that end up being essentially unintelligent, right? Like they're not Mm -hmm. the the right move. I I recently had a draft. It was a best ball draft that I was third pick, and I was planning for having a receiver. But uh, Antonio Brown went in the first two picks, so I got Le'Veon Bell at third, and I had to have a plan in place if that happened. Obviously, that's going to change the way I approach the second or third round, whether I consider certain options uh, in those rounds. So I also had a a, a draft a, a little while back, where I got Ezekiel Elliott in the third round, and I wasn't anticipating it. I'm almost never taking a running back in the third round, uh, but he fell to there, and I decided to, to take the chance on it, not really knowing what a situation was going to be. But because I you know, deviated from my original structure, I needed to consider the ramifications for how I wanted to approach the middle rounds and the late rounds. Um, I'm probably not going to hammer home uh, running back as hard in the later rounds. I'm probably going to be more willing to target guys that I'm confident are going to have early uh season production um maybe guys that fall because they're high injury risks maybe a guy like a uh, frank gore who uh, i'm not real high on and, and largely because i i think it's it, <clears throat> it's tough to, con- to to hope that he continues to stay healthy for 16 games forever the guy's 34 now but if i know that i'm gonna not have ezekiel elliott for the first uh seven weeks including their bye Frank Gore maybe makes some sense. Maybe I gambled that he makes it to seven weeks, even if I personally believe that he's not going to make it 16 games. So, you know, things like that, where once you make certain picks, you have to reconsider the types of players that you're going to draft. And some of those structures, the the example I just gave is one that is kind of an on the fly structural change. Some of those structures do tend to be on the fly and you want to reconsider your strategy as, as your team starts to take shape on the fly as well. But more importantly, before you begin, have a structure in mind, but I have a couple structures in mind because you don't know what's going to happen, but there are a couple different things that you can plan for potentially happening and think to yourself, hey, if I do if I do this in the first round, in the second round, in the third round, how am I going to want to approach the middle rounds? How am I going to want to approach the later rounds? And And be ready to be flexible, but at the same time have a preferred approach. Yeah, definitely. You want to have a default setting. You want to have
0: something that you enter the draft with. That's, if everything goes right, if everything goes close enough to how I expect, this is how I think I'm going to optimize my roster. And then if that doesn't happen, you can pivot if you need to. Like, that example you gave earlier of just drafting Zeke or, or not Zeke, uh, Bell or DJ with one of the first two picks. You don't necessarily know who's going to get back to you in the second round for for those next two picks at the turn. And with that in mind, like, this is just a, a super basic example, but... You can either decide, okay, because I have that elite running back, what I want to do next is focus my next you know, high capital picks on the wide receiver position to kind of catch back up there. Or you can look at it and say, you know what, I think what gives me the best odds is actually to go anti-fragile, uh, to... Or no, excuse me, to go hyper fragile and to say, okay, I might take another running back there. I might take Kareem Hunt or Dalvin Cook in the second round, even if that guy's above ADP. Now, for me, the default setting would be the first approach, right? It's like, okay, I've got my workhorse running back. I don't really, like, I didn't really want a running back in the first round anyway, but I had a top two pick, so here I am. I I am probably going to take wide receivers. But let's say after you take one of those guys, the next, you know, maybe, I don't know, say 15 of the next 16 picks are, Are wide receivers, and it's like, well, at that point, is it really worth it to go and grab that wide receiver in the second round? Maybe not. And the great thing about two QBs, in my in my opinion, this is purely Greg speaking here, is that because quarterback becomes a viable position to take early, you have more options. You can play with more structures, and you can play with more potential structures as you're going through. And so, to kind of wrap things up, I want to talk a little bit about the potential structures that you could have just surrounding the quarterback position. And the ones that we commonly talk about at 2QBs, and if you go to the site, there's a drop-down menu at the top that says 2QB strategies or something like that. And there's, there's three key ones that we always talk about. We talk about early-round quarterbacks, you know, drafting two quarterbacks in the first however many rounds, trying to get those studs. There's also a stud and streaming approach, where you try to get one good quarterback And, you know, maybe you figure out your QB2 and your QB3 a little bit later in the draft. Or there's, you know, our preferred approach, based upon the conversation that we've had, been where we're looking for those later values. And I don't like to say late round into quarterback formats. I like to say later pick. Because... As I alluded to earlier in the episode, there are going to be some drafts where QBs just go so fast that you're not really drafting them in the late rounds. You're just drafting them after everybody else. Essentially, like, I want to be the last guy to get my QB1, or I might even let other people get QB2s before I get my QB1. So those are some types of uh, some structures in two QB leagues that you can take. And I do want to take this opportunity one more time to plug the two QBs draft guide and uh, specifically, an article that Sean Slavin wrote. It's our two QB draft strategy piece that's in the guide. And this thing takes those three approaches and it goes crazy with them. It, it, it lays out all these different like substructures within those primary structures, right? So if you look at his uh, his section on studs and streaming, he'll show you what that sort of uh, what that sort of structure will look like. If your first pick is a running back, if your first pick is a quarterback, if your first pick is a wide receiver, or if your first pick is a later QB1, or if you want to go completely zero RB, it's really awesome. That's one thing in the draft guide I think you should check out if this topic of structural drafting has any interest to you. Um, The other article I want to plug in there is uh, an, an analysis I did of our mock draft data from 2016. Looking at all the mock drafts that 2QBs.com ran leading up to last season, it shows not only which you know draft slots tended to perform the best on average across, I think, 50-something drafts, 52 drafts, I want to say, but it also looks at opening pick sequences. Uh, so just for example, the best strategy, even in a 2QB league last year, according to our mocks, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying that the mock drafts, like the data I'm looking at is best ball analysis. So there is a difference between best ball and seasonal formats. But the way these played out as best ball leagues, the best start to a 2QB draft last year was running back, running back. There were 40 instances, and that was the one that produced the highest average points, the highest average finish. Uh, and, I mean, that's crazy, right? You think about 2QB leagues, and you think about how, how, like, zero, how wide receivers and passing are, are taking over the league, and you think, wow... The best two-round opening I could hope for, on average, in a best-ball league for two quarterback, was running back, running back, really. And this goes back to what you were talking about earlier, where 2016 was just such a strange season relative to the years before. And yeah, anyway, Ben, I really want to thank you for for coming on. Is there anything else you wanna you wanna talk about here before we close up shop?
1: No, not really. I mean that that is fantastic stuff. I mean, uh, really interesting about the uh, the running back, running back thing, as you noted, and. <clears throat> I would just say that uh, my expectation would be that that won't be the case in 2017. So, I hold on. That's a good way to get out of here. What do you think? Let's just kind of make some guesses here. If you're drafting right now
0: or or this weekend, you know, Labor Day weekend is probably the most popular draft weekend. What, what is your baseline approach for, I, I think I know you would do zero RB in, you know, most one QB situations, but for a two QB situation, what are, you, what are you looking to do? What is your go-to? What is your default setting?
1: Yeah, I mean, if it's early in the draft, I'm going to probably take uh, DJ or Bell. And that means I'm going to start with a running back, obviously. Uh, if it's middle to later, I'm, I'm going to almost certainly start at wide receiver and then probably go wide receiver, wide receiver, and probably wide receiver in the third as well. Around the fourth or sometimes in the late third, I'm considering tight end. Uh, by the fifth or sixth round, I'm generally four to five wide receivers in, and I have one tight end. Uh, and I'm willing to to wait that long if I do get uh, a running back like Le'Veon Bell or DJ, that's great. I'll wait even later for my second running back. Uh, but I think there's some really great late running back values this year. Uh, I just wrote a, a piece about the the pass catching subset of of running backs and how uh four of the biggest names last year all had season ending injuries last year so we didn't see any pass catching backs really perform well and we're still getting that same recency bias that we're talking about with so many other things where because we didn't see uh, a year like uh, a few years back i want to say it was 2015 actually where danny woodhead was the rb3 or um a, a few years back before that uh, maybe it was 2011 or so when Darren Sproles was like the RB5 where some of these pass-catching backs can be so productive uh, in this kind of new world of, of uh, running backs where they're not getting – the, the top-end guys aren't getting as many carries and we're not seeing as many 300-carry backs and, and those types of things. Um, so I, I'm really comfortable drafting some of those, those uh, later-round pass-catching backs because I think they're all very, very undervalued. Um, and then you can also draft some other guys that have some really high upside and, and the pass catching backs will be stable starters for you. And then, uh, those high upside backups and, um, traditional, you know, zero running back targets that if they have a starter get injured, could come into some really big workloads, um, would give you that high upside at the position still. Uh, but you'll be pretty, pretty, pretty comfortable with a Gio Bernard or a uh, a Shane Vereen, who's a guy that I really like, and, and Riddick and Woodhead are the four that that all got re- injured last year and played ten or fewer games, and some other guys, Chris Thompson, Duke Johnson. I mean, a, a, some, Scrolls, some there's some pass catchers. There's a lot of them, yeah. Right. Those those are the guys that I, I target as my early season starters, and then I, I target some high upside running backs, and I, I feel good about my my running back core when I do that. So it allows me, um, to our point or in the, earlier in the discussion about having kind of different approaches in different years. It's not that I'm just real comfortable going zero uh, running back again after it didn't work last year. It's that I'm comfortable building my running back core in the later rounds. The alternative to that is, okay, well, there's the potential for some really high upside with early round receivers and tight ends. So that's where I'll be hammering those. And then as we noted, um, as far as how to handle QBs, I'm I'm right with you with the later pick QB kind of concept and taking them later than my opponents, Uh, not necessarily – putting a round on it until i kind of see how the draft plays out but taking them later than my opponents so i you anticipated
0: my question i was going to ask you about which qbs you're looking at or how you're approaching quarterback now when you do that when you take that approach which quarterbacks do you find yourself landing the most this is usually just relative to adp and general rankings of quarterbacks but what quarterbacks do you
1: end up with the most uh, under that sort of structure
0: or, or, or which guys are you targeting specifically?
1: Yeah, I mean, Andy Dalton's a guy that I really like. You mentioned him a few times. He's he's a, a huge target for me. I think he just has so many weapons now that uh, it's certainly a a good situation for him. Sometimes he goes a little higher. There's been a lot of buzz on him. So um, some of the other ones in in some of the one QB leagues I do, I'm I'm looking at early season schedules, hoping those guys will bridge the gap to. Um, Somebody I can grab off the waiver wire that in one of these more uncertain QB situations, but it's probably going to be more difficult to grab guys off the waiver wire in a 2QB league. But um, some of those early season schedules that I I like are Carson Palmer has a pretty decent one. Uh, Mm -hmm. Sam Bradford gets New Orleans in week one, so when I get really late, and even in a 1QB league, I've ended up with him as my only quarterback. Um, So those are a couple guys that I've, I've targeted in those formats. As far as two QB go, uh, goes, though, it, it, for me, it's often just whoever's left. I mean, it's mm-hmm. I, I'm playing with fire like we were talking about earlier, and I've ended up with Flacco a couple times because we don't know how, about his health, and he he's, mm-hmm. tends to slip a little bit, probably not anticipating playing him in week one. But, I mean, even if you wind up with, like, you know, Simeon or Tom Savage or or, or whoever you wind up with, I, I'm comfortable just having a quarterback that's starting and and going from there. Yeah, see the thing I love about that is that you're
0: looking at the fact that all of those quote unquote bad quarterbacks are generally undervalued. And if you if you are the type of drafter who doesn't want that sort of team, if you want to use a structure where you're taking quarterbacks earlier, you can still apply that concept and try to find undervalued guys. This is why this is how Matt Ryan became such a value last year, right? You can try to find that player who's not necessarily one of the latest guys going, but going late enough. And even in the top tiers, you can look at a guy like Russell Wilson who, or, or Cam Newton, right, who is coming off of an off year in 2016, and because of recency bias, those guys are sliding down ADP a little bit more than they probably should. And so if if you are interested in taking QBs early, you don't necessarily have to pay up for rogers breeze brady you can try to you know pick the bottom of the tier or pick the again just guys who are a little undervalued based upon whatever circumstance whether it's you know last year's performance or an injury like you were talking about with flacco i think that's a great point to make i'm glad you made it i think this is a good place to wrap it up uh ben thank you very much for for taking the time to come on the podcast i had a lot of fun talking about this stuff with you um, why don't you let people know how they can find you and uh and what you got coming up uh you know work-wise for the fantasy world
1: yeah, definitely. I mean, and thanks for having me. I mean, this was a blast. I really enjoyed it. Um, as far as where to find me, Rotoviz is, is the place. Um, I'm the the senior fantasy analyst over there now. So, um, congrats all my, on that, pre- by the way. Thank you. So, pretty much all my work is is going to be over there. I will be writing uh, one of my in-season pieces over at Fantasy Labs this year. Is kind of a, a partnership between Rotoviz and Fantasy Labs, but most of my my stuff is over at Rotoviz. Um, I have a little blog set up, yardspergretch.wordpress.com, or something like that. You can find that on my on my Twitter, which is at yardspergretch, uh, where I, I link to all my work. So you can uh, check it out there as well if you want to. And then and then the new podcast that we were discussing earlier, um, yardspergretch. It's on the road of his radio channel. So that's where you can find my stuff if you're if you're interested in it. Yeah, man, I'm really looking forward to episode
0: two. Episode one hooked me, like I said. Um, listeners, thank you all for listening and and joining us here today. Uh, If you have any questions for the show or just, you know, about your leagues and two quarterback in general, you can hit us up uh, at 2QBs on Twitter, 2QBs at gmail.com. In both cases, you spell it out. That's T-W-O-Q-B-S. If you rate and review the podcast, that would be much appreciated. Um, And don't forget to get your copy of the 2017 2QBs.com draft guide. Uh, It's the only draft guide I think ever that's been dedicated to 2QB and Superflex leagues. And if you use the promo code from this podcast, uh, 2QBXP, you'll get 10% off. That's the number two, and then the letters QBXP. Thank you all for listening. We will catch you next time. Adios.